You're listening to the Alchemy of Self podcast with Romza. The world is currently in a state of rebirth. All of the systems we have inherited are collapsing and failing us as a species. It's time for us to come together and create something out of nothing. If you crave deeper purpose, unshakable strength, and a life aligned with your truth, this is for you. This is for you if you are curious and not afraid to ask questions. This podcast is for those searching for their purpose and those ready to step into their full potential. For lovers of truth and those ready for masculine medicine, this podcast is an adventure that gives voice to a journey of healing, discovery, and embodiment. We'll challenge the old narratives we inherited and forge a new path. Join us in this fearless exploration of the multiple dimensions of being human, breathwork, mindset, healing the body, detox, and how to use the gentle way of jujitsu to make you unstoppable in your wellness, business, life, relationships, and more. Pursuing death into life. I feel that my boat has bumped there at the bottom into something big and nothing happens. Nothing. Quiet. Waves. Nothing happens or has everything happened and we are already at rest in something new. Juan Ramon Jimenez. There are moments when you might discover with a shock that you know that what you know won't help you in the situation you are facing now. A helicopter pilot told me the situation, seeing the elephant. And for him, it was a moment when winds, cliffs, aircraft, and ocean made a situation that nothing in his training taught him how to get through. Even so, without a plan, he saved his aircraft and himself. Perhaps you have been stuck in some way or just marking time, or doing everything perfectly well, and then events have asked you to change something fundamental, perhaps your whole approach to life. Any occasion may provide the shock that begins such a journey, brushing up against death, the prospect of which is well known to concentrate the mind can often be that occasion. The point is that in an impasse, life becomes more real and more interesting. So much so that it is better to have some impossible problems in your life than not to. And in an impasse, a risk is required. You have to give yourself completely to a new situation, though you have no guarantee that your efforts will turn out well. Here is a koan of such a shock and the journey that followed. The koan, a condolence call. The student's name was Jian Yun and his old teacher was Dao Wu. In those days, people came to study Zen for many reasons. Some came because they were hungry, some because they didn't know what to do with their lives, the way others would join the army. Jian Yun came because he felt upside down and in pain. When someone congratulated him, he felt embarrassed. When he saw a lake full of clouds, its beauty didn't calm him. He became restless and wanted to talk. Everything he saw seemed at a distance. His mind was full of thoughts and feelings that put a curtain over the landscape. He wanted to break through that curtain but didn't know how. That's why he took the chance of studying with Dao Wu. At the temple they meditated, worked in the garden together, studied. Life flowed along and most of the time nothing much seemed to be happening. Occasionally Jian Yun would be visited by a vivid dream that stayed with him through the day. One such day in the gardens he felt that he was walking inside the body of Guan Yin, the deity of compassion. He saw every leaf and little club of moss as a hand of kindness or at night after meditating he had a feeling of wholeness that he couldn't describe, and Dao Wu would just laugh when he made an attempt to do so. 
These moments were beautiful, but disappeared as quickly as they came, and more than anything, Jian Yun wanted understanding, a clear understanding that would open life to him. As the years passed, this unfulfilled desire became scarcely bearable. He began to take every opportunity he could to get away from the temple with his teacher. Quite often, they walked to a nearby village to officiate at a funeral. The ritual for these occasions was well established. Dao Wu would order, offer incense, lead a chant, say a few words, and leave with his unobtrusive attendant. The bereaved family seemed to find this genuinely consoling. On the day we are concerned with, everything seemed normal. Jian Yun noted the curved tiles on the eaves of the house as they entered. He took in the softly weeping wife of the man in the coffin, the son who was greeting the visitors, a couple of bright-eyed girls, the murmuring of friends and neighbors, their feelings of helplessness and goodwill. Jian Yun began, became convinced that life would go on for this family and that their sorrow would pass, but he was no longer certain that his own life would go on. As usual, he walked towards the coffin to pay his respects, but his footsteps were heavy and slow, and when he saw the dead man, his years of uncertainty became a weight in his chest. He began to feel unreal, to dread that he was not himself actually alive, and that he would drift along in a kind of half-life until he just winked out of existence. He was no longer able to play the part he was supposed to play. He raised his hand and smashed it down on the coffin. Bang! He turned to Dao Wu, and though he had not planned what he would say, a question burst out. Alive or dead? In the small room, his voice was loud, but Dao Wu didn't show the least surprise and answered without hesitation. I'm not saying alive. I'm not saying dead. Taking their cue from Dao Wu, the shocked mourners breathed out and returned to normalcy. Tea and conversation. The young daughters were a little bit thrilled. They had heard of the strange behavior of people who were seeking enlightenment, and now they saw it. But Jian Yun couldn't compose himself. His sense of the normal had shifted. He no longer knew whether his question applied to the corpse or himself or both. But it was the main thing in his mind, and the most important thing at all, of all. And he demanded to know why Dao Wu wouldn't help him. Why not? I'm not saying. I'm not saying. Dao Wu was insistent and Jian Yun managed to rejoin him in the ritual. But some questions once asked cannot be unasked. On their silent walk home, the new moon in the rice fields, the silhouette of the chestnut, were invisible to Jian Yun. He was helpless against his own doubt and the question it had raised. He couldn't stop asking himself, alive or dead, as they approached the temple. Jian Yun grew more desperate. He began to feel that a possibility was slipping away and must be grasped. He became convinced that something was being hidden from him, and he planted himself in front of Dao Wu. Say something right now, teacher. If you don't, I'm going to hit you. Jian Yun was at the end of his tether. He shocked himself with his threat. Dao Wu wasn't shocked, though. You can hit me, but even if you do, I'm not saying. Jian Yun hit him. Dao Wu picked himself up and walked on home. If anyone had been around, they would have seen an old man in embroidered, Abbot's robes bleeding slightly from a cut over his eye, humming to himself and weaving ever so slightly as if he were very tired or happy. Jian Yu never returned to the temple. He didn't collect his books or his few belongings. There where he last saw Dao Wu, he risked everything, turned on his heel and departed. For years, Jian Yun's question had a continued life and gradually became so familiar to him that even when he was not consciously aware of it, it was present in a hidden way 
like a seed or an underground river. The ears of the summer grass whispered, alive or dead. The horse bending its neck to graze said, I won't say, I won't say. Time passed and the question remained. Frost was followed by plum blossom. New people were born and died and he carried his question. After a few years, it might have been more true to say that his question carried him. Then Dao Wu fell ill. His pain was visible and his students came to fuss over him. He said, there is something which isn't repaid. Do you see that? Everyone wept and then he died. When Zhang Yun heard this story, he wept too. All sorts of thoughts appeared. The old man could have meant that his students hadn't repaid him, or that he, Dao Wu, had received something from the students and not repaid it. Zhang Yun's mind started to spin just as if Dao Wu were with him again. He realized that he didn't have a clue what Dao Wu meant. He remembered that one repayment Dao Wu had wanted was for his students to understand, to awaken. Then Zhang Yun did something he'd been thinking of doing for some time. He went to visit a teacher named Shi Shuang. Shi Shuang had also studied with Dao Wu and had his own story of wandering. At one time he stayed with the potters who lived at the edge of town, outside of the governor's protection and constraints. Everyone looked down at the potters, but Shi Shuang liked them. Perhaps he felt free there, where he could stretch out and breathe without anyone virtuous or important around. But Shi Shuang, like Dao Wu, didn't explain himself. Later he became a teacher, and his students meditated so much and sat so still that they were called the Dead Tree Gang. Eventually, Zhuan Yun met with Shi Shuang. They sat together in the garden. His new teacher looked into his face with such directness that he immediately felt inclined to be happy. He told Shi Shuang the whole story, starting with the banging on the coffin. Before the tale was finished, Shi Shuang jumped into it himself and said, I'm not saying alive, I'm not saying dead. Zhan Yu's doubt filled his chest again and he found it hard to breathe. Something was churning in him. Why not? He, murmured, he mumbled. I'm not saying, I'm not saying, said Shi Shuang. At these familiar words, Zhan Yu's thoughts stopped and his world stopped with them. Externally, nothing changed. A light breeze shook the new leaves. The lines of the hills were near on the spring day, and he noticed a garden mattock that needed to be put away. He hadn't gained any knowledge that he didn't have before. But his mind was inexplicably buoyant and clear, as if he had stepped inside Dao Wu's mind. He was sure that he was meeting Dao Wu more deeply than he ever had in life. He saw Dao Wu's good-natured sense of humor. He had asked alive or dead, and now he saw the kindness of Dao Wu's reply as though inviting Zhang Yun to join him in freedom. I won't say, I won't say. Today, he said to himself, I have finally understood Dao Wu. Then he began to laugh at his own pomposity. He laughed at himself. He laughed at Shi Shuang. He laughed at the door on the floor. He tried the thought the other way. Today, with my happiness, I have misunderstood Dao Wu completely. And he laughed even harder. Shi Shuang walked outside with him, pointing out common objects, a bucket, a kitchen door, Zhan Yun found everything amusing. Shi Shuang found Zhan Yun amusing, or at any rate, seemed to be enjoying himself too. Walking together in this way, the two men passed out of sight behind the great hall. In time, Zhan Yun found that awakening wasn't only a piercing moment, but something that seeped slowly through his life. Once he was sitting at evening, after coming back from the gardens, under a newish moon the crickets were getting a rhythm going. Swallows were doing their last hunting. Dark came slowly so that he could see the outline of the hills, like an afterimage from the day. He leaned on his hoe and remembered that he had traveled together with Dao Wu. He saw the lines on the old man's face and the way he walked with a slight roll. 
Dawu's mind was so strongly present that as if no time had passed, he was moved to continue the conversation that had begun all those years ago when he had banged on the coffin. Jian Yun slung his hole over his shoulder and went into the teaching hall where he crossed from east to west and back again from west to east. People were coming in for an evening lecture and they stopped in their tracks. What are you doing? asked Shi Shuang. His impulse was to help with whatever the project was. I'm searching for the sacred bones of our dead masters, said Jian Yun. Bringing his hoe to the teaching hall seemed a natural way to show what he had discovered. Those standing there laughed and without being able to say why, felt themselves included in a delicious secret. Shi Shuang said, so? Waves flood every place there is. White caps are higher than the sky. What sacred bones of our master are you looking for? For Jian Yun, his teaching was enlarging what he had expressed. It's not only in the meditation hall, it's everywhere, he thought. The sacred bones fill the universe. Jian Yun had been looking at the hall and had found it to be beautiful, the one thing that filled eternity. If he had thought about it, he would have acknowledged that it would have been anything. But for him, at that moment, it was a hall. Shi Shuang said, raise your eyes. And when Jian Yun did, everything he looked at shone. Those fresh eyes, he thought, were what had been handed down from Dao Wu. A tired young man walked slowly past the hall and was also beautiful exactly as he was. The wall and the kitchen roof pierced his heart with their plainness. Thank you, said Jian Yun. This is just what I need to give me strength. The journey was becoming simpler. He felt that he was out walking with Shi Shuang in the cool of the evening and that they had just come up with Dao Wu and resumed an old conversation that they had left off. A teacher called Fu of Taiyun heard about Jian Yun striding into the hall with a hoe. He too jumped into the story and said, the sacred bones of the ma old master are still here. In this way, the story was remembered and passed around among the fellowship of those who asked questions about what matters. For the rest of this life, Jian Yun kept walking with such companions, though to an observer it might have seemed that he was often alone. Working with the koan. In this koan, the teacher helps the student by refusing to give the kind of help he is being asked for. The refusal is an example of what psychologists call holding a container for change, and the teacher got clobbered for it, which you will probably think is only fair if anyone has ever helped you in such a manner. This teacher is not saying, though it turns out to be a tool for the student to get through the impasse, surprising everyone. The ancient way of working with the koan is to carry the question with you wherever you go, so your life goes getting up, alive or dead, drinking coffee, alive or dead, driving to work, alive or dead, watching a movie, alive or dead. You can also carry the teacher's response, I'm not saying, I'm not saying. Discovering what you lose when you do say, and the invitation in, I won't say, I won't say. Working in this way loosens the knots in the mind, and it also introduces a space that you can start moving between anxieties and distractions and not struggle with them so much. Just saying, just staying with the questions, life grows calmer and more interesting. If this koan has chosen you or called to you, it naturally belongs with certain other questions, deep questions, which then become yours. What happens to me when I die? What happens to me when those I love die? What, when someone has died, are they alive in my mind or dead? In what way are they still alive? In what way not? And of those people who are still alive, are they really alive in my mind or are they dead? 
After the death of my mother, I noticed that I didn't have a repertoire of off-the-shelf feelings. Sometimes I was sad, but mostly I was happy, in a way unconnected to her going. Sometimes I was forgetful. When I poured her ashes off an old cast-iron bridge into the river she had lived on all her life, it seemed an intimate and friendly act, and I felt close to her in ways I sometimes had not in life. She was still alive in me, and I had confidence that we would both, in our separate times and ways, find the sea. Without off-the-shelf feelings or off-the-shelf thoughts, we are not so sure of what is alive or what is dead. A bachelor friend married a woman with children and told me, I had killed off the possibility of deep interaction with children. I had closed off that possibility without understanding what children could bring. I had a narrow sense of my path, what my path was. But that's exactly what you learn, that if you approach small children without an agenda, if you can match their openness of their minds, you too are open. My wife's little boy just comes to see me and doesn't know why. He doesn't have the slightest idea of what should or shouldn't happen. If I avoid structuring things in my usual way, I meet him in the same way he meets me. Then his older brother got interested in the Beatles and wanted to learn guitar. So I resurrected something from years ago when I played guitar for a while. I had put it away, assumed it was dead. And perhaps he'll continue with guitar or not. But I think I will anyway. And what do you presume to be alive that might be dead? Work, even good work, can become soulless. Some friendships grow rope. And sometimes, wondrously, you might find that an old wound, a sorrow you have carried very carefully, like a glass filled to the top with water, has no longer any life or interest in it and does not require you to keep a watchful balance anymore. Then there is a family of questions about not saying. Why is it sometimes better not to say? Is there a kind of saying that makes the world retreat from us? Is it possible to start talking to soon at the end of a disturbing movie, to reassemble the world by analyzing the movie or by talking about something else? A professor showed a classic movie to his class every week and left time for discussion afterward. One week, one week's films left the students in silence. When the lights came up and the discussion period began, half the class got up and left the room. The movie was still alive inside them, and they wanted to keep it that way. In ancient times, there were, there were mysteries celebrated in Eleusis. The initiates were forbidden to speak of what they underwent, and though the tradition lasted more for more than a thousand years, we still do not know what happened there. Perhaps the secret was kept because the procedures of the initiation weren't in themselves so mysterious, and the effects on the initiates couldn't be understood from a description of the outer events. One of the strangest ceremonies I have ever participated in occurred when a group of men in a retreat dug a hole in the ground and, it, and took turns going to whisper into the earth every sorrow or shame that burdened them. It was a way of saying and a way of not saying at the same time. It seemed to help. The action gave me a sense of the welcoming quality of the earth and the common fate of humanity as other men in the darkness nearby whispered their own griefs. Keeping silent may not mean that nothing is being acknowledged. It may mean that something is valuable but can't be eliminated by light and understanding and needs darkness to come to a resolution. In folktales, keeping silent may break a spell or allow time to pass so that growth can occur. Dawu encourages the work in the night to go on by bringing Zhan Yun's impasse into awareness without resolving it. He says, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, and in his kindness he takes a difficult question and makes it worse. Perhaps it is when you meet a real impasse that the true purpose of your life begins to unfold, 
and your journey, your true journey, begins. Jan Yoon's virtue was that he didn't refuse the journey. This koan was always encur encouraged me to trust the difficulties I run up against and the slowness with which I work with them. It is as if an impasse has its own journey built into it, a journey that belongs only to the impasse and which is a unique path to freedom. Each step in the dark turns out, in the end, to have been on course after all.
Thank you for joining me in this meditation. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the Alchemy of Self podcast. If you resonate with our message, please show us some love by hitting the subscribe button and giving us a like. You can also visit our website at www.romza.com to continue your journey of self-discovery and keep up with our latest offerings. With love and harmony from all of us at the Alchemy of Self podcast.